Grudge Match Report Part 5 Hello, mon ami. I promised you the last part of the Grudge Match Report and here it is. I lost. I really lost. A lot of time because of the baby. So the year 1759, the final year in the game, was off to a shaky start. To recap the situation, the French had amassed seven victory points through extremely annoying raiding with Indian warbands and also by using their powerful commander Montcalm to create effect in the west at Ohio Forks where he even managed to conquer the British Four at Wills Creek. The last year of the short scenario is divided into one early and one late season. Each player has a hand of eight cards, of which some are reaction cards that are played during the other player's turn, so in effect there are usually less than eight turns per season. So Jason had around 14 in-game actions to get eight victory points. Eight, because the French would still win with zero victory points. He had not yet achieved any big conquests, and even though he had amassed quite a lot of troops to, theoretically, besiege Louisbourg, one of the sideshows of the game that can be still decisive, he never seemed to have the necessary amphibious landing cards to make it possible. The French begin the year by doing what they do best, reading. And throughout the year I did that so often that the British thought that Kevin Costner would ride through their barnyard any moment with a camera. The provincial armies were so demoralized that they deserted in the great numbers, and General Jason cried in despair. While the evil French frogs recruit other more Indians, we, the British, react by bringing Bradstreet, a new commander, into the game. Note by Moritz. This seemed to be a time when Jason was really down in real life, as he seemed to lose absolutely every war game he was in, and he began to despair. Jason, if you were playing Eurogames, you wouldn't need to despair, because Eurogames are all about the experience. The experience of shoving wooden blocks around the board to get majorities in an area. The French now open up a new battlefield by advancing down the Ticonderoga route and hunting down the scattered British. They know they had the advantage, because they had three campaign cards in their hand, meaning they could move two commanders at once, trois times. Trois times. That's even more than the British can count, the ignorance. Well, the British are not impressed by that. They just shift their armies around to confuse the stupid French, so that in the end the three campaign cards have no effect. But while doing that, they lose valuable time that could be better used in conquering French territory. But now it is lost. The British commanders, in their desperation, do what they do best, making a tea break. This is what Jason says. This no interception thing may have done me in. I can't really fend you off if I have to fill every space with a matching stack. The lack of that rule may, especially when used in combination with the other advanced rules, make it impossible for the Brits to win. But still, the French lost. No time. By sending out even more Indian raiding parties. And suddenly there is a battle. The British attack Montcalm, the raiding king in Allegheny South. He is not worried as he can retreat and is also accompanied by his friend, Commander Rigaud. But then something totally unexpected happens. Both the British and the French roll a six in combat, which means there is a leader loss check. A die for each leader, a one kills him. The dice are rolled. There are two British leaders on one side and two French leaders on the other side. The dice come out as two, six, one, one. Both Montcalm and Rigaud are killed by what we may never know. Disaster! 
And suddenly there's hope for the British. The French have lost some territory and are suddenly now at three victory points only. The British proudly roam the territory, killing coureurs de bois, French rangers, or rather woodrunners, left and right. The French have to retreat en masse and destroy force before they fall into the hands of the British. There is only one answer to this. Raid the bastards! Raid them! And raiding they do. Note by Moritz. A raid has usually a one in three chance to succeed. Each ops activation activates two Indians. So, if a player has many Indians like I had in this game, and if there is no interception rule, there are simply a lot of Indians that can be moved to raid. With three average Indian activations per card, there is an average of one victory point that can be gained with raiding. That's quite a lot. In the course of the end game, I nearly managed to get five victory points just by raiding and annoying the hell out of Jason in the final turn. After cleaning up in the west, the British prepare the great attack against Montreal by moving their armies in a terribly threatening way. The French retreat to Montreal, deciding to wait it out and hope that the raiding victory points will win the day. And General Jason attacks, but halt. There's some confusion about the number of armies he actually has. And yes, it turns out he did some minor miscalculations when shifting around and combining his armies. And in fact, the huge army he led against Montreal turns out to be a wimpy little squad. Disgusted by this, the British give up. Yes, you heard right. The British give up. What the heck? You might think, no big final battle, no exciting last round victory point calculations like in Puerto Rico. The game ends with a whimper, not with a bang. This is the surprising thing about war games, that they sometimes end more peacefully than the game of Let's Feed the Hungry Hippos. Overcome by feelings, General Jason and General Moritz hug on the field that simply refuse to become a battlefield. The French and British soldiers put flowers into their guns and kiss each other. A wonderful new era begins. All the Indians are liberated and get their own government. There is no explanation of the Acadians and there is no division between Canada and the US. It becomes one big country of peace and French love. The French teach the British how to cook good food and how to grow good wine. The British teach the French in turn how good jokes work and how to make good pop music. The British become placent and lazy and losing their hard grip on America, which means that there are no Minutemen and no American Revolution because there is nobody to rebel against. The American Civil War also doesn't happen because of this. This in turn means that there are no reenactments of civil war battles and no miniature wargaming. And this in turn means that there are no war games at all. Everything is peaceful until a young lad named Wolfgang Kramer awakes in the middle of the night. The last weeks he has excessively played Kriegsspiele a reenactment of the old Prussian officers' war games. And he has an idea. How about if there was some kind of overlay on the board that would regulate movement? And you would use little wooden counters to keep track of the armies? A half-dead bee that crawls along his window gives him the idea. Hexagons could regulate movement. And a new game idea is born. He calls it war game in English because he doesn't want to use the term Kriegsspiel. He founds a company called Die Hügel von Avalon and produces one hit after the other. The craze of wargaming soon sweeps over all of Europe and companies like SPE or TSR soon rule the market. Everything is peaceful until a young American called Don Greenwood suddenly realizes that he has wood for sheep. And it is the beginning of a wonderful new fad, the Amerigame. The golden age of gaming has truly begun. 
With this, my friends, I'll leave you to your kimchi harvesting ploys and wish you goodbye until in two weeks when Jason will have to suffer through the development of the German postal system in Grudge Match Part 2. The postman always shoots twice. Yeah!